the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Being brought to you today, empowered on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner from the two-man power trip, the one and only JP, John Paz, and start spreading the news because he is in the city that never sleeps. The one and only franchise Shane Douglas has landed not only in New York City, but he is also back here on another episode of the Triple Threat Podcast. Shane, how's it going out there in the Big Apple? Hey, we got in today. We're uh, settled in. We're in the uh, confines of the presidential suite in a hidden hotel deep in Manhattan. And uh, we've been out roaming around today and taking in the sights, sounds, and smells of New York City. (laughs) Taking in the smells. JP, you didn't tell me you were going into New York today. Shit. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. It's a, it's a great week. It's a huge week. It's WrestleCon week. It's WrestleMania weekend. It's Mark Out at the Meadowlands weekend. Shane, there's so much wrestling going on in the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Uh, so much to digest. You're Like you said, you're there a couple days early, getting ready to uh, gear up for a big weekend. Do you have to mentally prepare, or is this kind of old hat to you rolling into another WrestleCon weekend? No, this, this is old hat to me. This, this is like homecoming weekend for us. You know, we there, there's some some of the old friends that you see multiple times throughout the year, and then there's others that you don't see uh, quite as often. And, and these are uh, things like WrestleCon, uh, WrestleCade in November give the opportunity to do that. So it's sort of homecoming week for us. But uh, uh, it's gonna be a bit bittersweet for me because I, I'm you know I'm sure Terry Funk won't be in with the uh, tragedy that's happened uh, uh, with Vicky and. Yeah, and um, he has not been traveling to many conventions over the last couple of years. He did one randomly, I'd say maybe a year and a half ago, uh, but he has not been traveling much. And uh, unfortunately, this past weekend, just uh, very sad news that his wife, Vicky Funk, passed away. Uh, if anybody remembers the movie Beyond the Mat, Vicky is prominently featured throughout Beyond the Mat as Terry was going through another one of his bouts of whether he was going to retire or not, and her and her family were there right by his side throughout the whole thing. But, Shane, you know, you wrote some very heartfelt things on Twitter about Vicky Funk, but please share with us some memories, if you can, about her. Tell the fans maybe stuff they, they might not know about her, but she really was the rock that held that double cross ranch together. Well, there's no question about that. I love Terry Funk to death and have enormous respect for Terry, but... Terry Funk, uh, the character that we all know and love and respect, uh, would not have been possible if it weren't for a, a woman named Vicky Funk. Uh, you know, Vicky Funk kept uh, the, the Double Cross Ranch running while Terry was on the road for pretty much full years at a time. Uh, and, you know, Terry, you know, I know Terry well enough to know that, you know, Terry, 
in conversations with Terry, every other sentence was a sentence about Vicky. You know, oh, Vicky wouldn't like that, or I, I got to call Vicky and check on this, or you know, she really, truly, when you say you know, rock for Terry, that's it's an understatement. You know, he they were like Siamese twins that weren't attached, and uh, you know, Vicky, what anybody that knows Vicky knows what I'm talking about, but for the fans that may not know her other than just a picture. Vicky had an incredible acerbic sense of humor. Uh, she, you had to pay real close attention. You could just be sort of nonchalantly listening and nodding in agreement because she might have just said something that tore you to your core. You know, she had to pay real close attention. She didn't mean it in a mean way. You know, it was just Vicky's, Vicky's way of, I guess, entertaining herself and entertaining the room. Uh, but she, she really was a sweetheart, just a lovely human being. Um, and, you know, she was a lot of fun to be around. Uh, she really was, you know, you hear the phrase life of the party. That was Vicky. You know, Vicky was, when Vicky walked into a room uh, with a glass of wine in her hand, you knew that it was going to be a fun evening because of her storytelling and, you know, her telling you the other side of Terry, right? You know, there's always the other side of Terry's stories. And uh, she really was a sweetheart. And like I said in, in, in my tweet, uh, you know, she, uh, a phrase that maybe only wrestlers will get completely uh, Vicky was, in every sense of the word, one of the boys. Um, you know, she she could seamlessly walk into the dressing room, and you, you wouldn't feel there was an outsider there, and she wouldn't feel out of place there. Uh, and she also didn't, and I, I don't think I can put this in the right words, but I'll just say it and explain it. Uh, Vicky didn't stick her nose in too far to Terry's career. In other words, you know, if Terry was going to go do, you know, A, B, and C, uh, I'm sure he discussed it with her at some point, uh, but you know, if she disagreed, I, I never saw her tell Terry that. You know, it was like Terry was pretty much Terry, um, and I think that the best he got out of her, out of Vicky, was her support. That you know, she trusted. She knew that Terry was, you know, the legend that he was and, and the talent that he is. Um, uh, but I should say is on both of those, right? Uh, the legend that he is and the talent that he is. Uh, and and I, I think she knew not to stick her nose in there because, you know, they're sort of trying to tell, you know, some master how to do their craft. And uh, that wasn't Vicky's way. Vicky didn't micromanage. Vicky was just a, a, a supportive hand, uh, stood behind her man all the way. And I, I personally am going to really miss it. It's been some time since I've seen Vicky. I didn't know she had dementia. Uh, I just heard that last week from Manny Fernandez and was shocked to hear it, but he had made it sound like it was like the early stages. And, uh, you know, I, I was shocked when I heard the news. In fact, I, when I heard somebody say it in the dressing room last week, I said, what did you just say? And they said it again, and, and like it just really threw me, you know, because I didn't expect that, especially so soon. And, you know, much like I was with Dominic when, when Janine passed away, uh, I'm, I'm concerned for Terry, you know, because they were such interwoven personalities and supported each other and leaned on each other and loved each other um, that, you know, you, you know, we hear that, uh, you know, the broken heart syndrome, right? You know, one passes away and then a week later, you know, some short period later, and I, you know, I, I hope and pray I'm wrong on that. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've been given Terry, I, I have to call him and, but, you know, I don't want to call him too quickly. You know, I want to give him time to properly grieve and, uh, you know, talk to him. But, you know, to say, again, I'm doing a disservice to say the words, but, you know, she's going to be sorely missed. And, you know, there was, very few individuals like Vicky Funk on the planet. And, and Terry was a hell of a lucky guy, is a hell of a lucky guy to have met her. And, uh, you know, she, she's the type of lady that made you like think, boy, if, if only I had met somebody like that. You know, she was a sweetheart in every sense of the word and going to be sorely, sorely missed. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm going to point people in the direction of Terry Funk's book as well, which came out, I believe, 2012. It's more than just hardcore 
uh, is entitled, and you get to hear their story. And they did go through some trials and tribulations, and he was very, uh, very sure. candid to share that. And obviously, you know, you say she's one of the boys, she's a wrestler's wife, but I mean, we're talking about a guy in Terry Funk that I mean, the career of careers where yes, he did retire. It became a running joke. He retired. He'd come back out of retirement. I mean, we interviewed him almost a year and a half ago where he was coming out of retirement again. And, you know, for her to stick by his side, that's truly dedication. That's truly a love story. And they had a, 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 you know, wonderful family. But what you just said about Funk was exactly what I thought, too, is that that almost dying of a broken heart or, or, you know, suffering because of it. God forbid. Knock on wood. Um, But again, talk about that if you can. You know, is that something that for a wife uh, to see somebody like Terry who would retire and then he'd be home and then he'd go back on the road again? You know, does that kind of weigh on the relationship or is that something that you need a rock like Vicky in your life to kind of handle those situations? Well, I'll answer your question by pointing you to, you know, something else. Uh, look at the divorce rate amongst professional wrestlers. Hell, look at the divorce rate in, in, in public in general. Um, our industry is incredibly difficult on marriages uh, because of the amount of time away. And, you know, you can see the, the spouse at home feeling like they're left raising the kids and taking care of the home and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it takes an incredibly strong person to be the spouse of a wrestler uh, and to do all those things and, and not feel the need to interject uh, as so many do, you know, so many stick their nose in and say, Hey, you can't do that. You, I remember one time uh, somebody told my ex-wife uh, we were doing a dry run through in, in uh, Dayton, Ohio at the hair arena. And uh, Francine and I made our entrance and I gave her the, the franchise kiss on the ropes and the heartbeat. Well, by the time I got back, walked back from you know from our dry run uh our rehearsal uh my wife was there waiting for me and a little ticked off and she never held i francine had been over to her house for dinner how many times and uh she was ticked off because all the other wrestlers wives were saying to her why do you allow him to do that i would never let my husband do that and you know stuff like that well my my wife knew that I was not somebody that would cheat on her or cheat around on her. And, and she knew that ours was a very professional relationship, Francine's and mine. It, it takes a strong woman. And my ex-wife, I can assure you, was one one millionth of Vicky Funk. Uh, you know, Vicky knew that that's what Terry loved to do. And she knew that that was his life. Um, you know, so you take somebody's love of their life, the love of their life as far as their their, their hobbies and their profession, if you try to step on that, you're going to step on toes and you're going to create a rift at some point. Uh, but like you said in, in his book, uh, you're right. They did that like any married couple, trials and tribulations, and, and uh, they were human beings. But, uh, you know, they're, and I'm sure the wrestling business was the root of a lot of that. Um, but the fact that they were married through all that and stuck through all that, when so many don't have the spine or the cojones or the stones to do that, to stick it out. Vicky did. And I, and I'm sure the next time I talk to Terry, if I ask him the question, I'll get the same answer I got from, from uh, George Animal Steel. And I asked him uh, you know, several years before he passed away, I said, you know, how long have you been married? I think he said it was 53 years at that time. And like, my God, that's like a, that's an eternity, right? That's an entire lifetime to some people. And I said, how in the world did, uh, did you stick it out that long? I mean, were there times you wanted to strangle her? And he, he chuckled and he said, oh, yeah. And probably a lot more times she wanted to strangle me. And I said, okay, well, then how the hell did you stick it out that long? I mean, if there were times you wanted to strangle her and times she wanted to strangle you, how did you make it to 53 years? He said, you just get to the point where you realize you're with the person you were meant to be with. And I said, now that you've been together that long. Looking back, can you imagine yourself divorced? Can you imagine yourself remarried to some other person? And he looked at me like I was speaking a foreign language to him. Uh, you know, I, I, I fear today it's just a general commentary on society in general uh, that everything is disposable, marriage is included. So that buggy get up your ass because uh, your ex-wife puts the toilet paper under instead of over or doesn't, your husband doesn't put the seat down, whatever. 
uh, those stupid, retarded, meaningless, irrelevant things that sort of just build up and drive people crazy. Uh, I, I, I think that today far too many people say, you know what, chuck it. I'm going to get divorced and go find grass greener on the other side. And we know the, out, the outcome of that saying, right, or the reason for that saying. And I just read something the other day talking about uh, the marriage rate amongst millennials. It's uh, uh, like 50 years ago. And I, again, the numbers I'm probably off a bit on, but it was something like 25 or 50 years ago, the marriage rate for 25 to 30 year olds was something like 76%. Uh, by that, meaning that by that age, they had 76% were married. Now it's down to something like 31% and dropping quick. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't think there's many people that have the kind of spine, the kind of love, and the kind of understanding that people like Terry Funk and, and Vicky Funk have for each other. And I cannot imagine either of them without each other, you know, it's, uh, which is why um, I, I worry about Terry now. But, you know, with all the trials and tribulations that Terry and Vicky have been through, I'm sure if, if you could snap your fingers and, and, and talk to Vicky right now or talk to Terry either one, they would mimic the same types of answers that George Steele gave me and uh, look at you almost like, what a retarded question, right, that you're even asking me this. Uh, that, that's real love, but I don't think it exists much anymore. Uh, you know, I was thinking back, there was a rumor about it, I, I think around 2017, that she had been ill, uh, Vicky Funk. Um, but then that was kind of superseded in the business by, you know, well, Terry was also ill. So that kind of, I think kind of yeah. fell by the wayside, but it's funny that both funk brothers, Terry and Dory, you know, we both, everybody knows their wife's name, you know, everybody knows them by uh, yeah. their first name. They know, uh, Vicky funk. They know Marty funk. It's the Vicky funniest and, thing. And Marty, sure. You know, I, that's, that's, yeah, that, that's a testament to the funk uh, brothers, you know, <laughs> they, <laughs> they, yeah. they share that spotlight. Yeah. But uh, I just I yeah, want to both both very both very prolific personalities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I want to ask John here a question because you know when I mentioned Beyond the Mat and I mentioned the Terry Funk retirement show with Shane, you were at, you were on the card, and I would love to talk about that as a full episode because yeah. the card and the stories. I mean, I'm sure that could fill up an episode and a half. But uh, John and I, you have a funny like you know connection to that show. We just that was always a show we loved, and I remember back still buying the tapes. You know, John going out and trying to find that tape, but it's the end of the match with Bret Hart where all the celebrations are going on, and that's kind of where Beyond the Mat captures it. And, John, I mean, that match itself, we could talk about that all day long too, but that emotion, it's kind of, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the overhanging fruit there is that it's all about his family on the outside, and I think in the match they kind of tell that story. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. They they definitely kind of get that story across and you can see the love that he has for his family and obviously love for his wife. And that is pretty cool. And like you said, and Shane, you were saying like kind of sharing the spotlight, so to speak, a little bit with his family and sharing the spotlight a little bit with his wife and everyone knows who they are and everyone knew Vicky. So it's pretty cool in that regard. And we did have a hard time trying to find that tape. You know, for years we were always trying to, you know, get it, you know, either keep it, rent it, trade it, whatever we're doing. But Man, that Bret Hart match against Funk is awesome. Well, it just shows you, like, Terry, you know, when you take into consideration that he was 53 years old when he won the ECW world title. And it wasn't like a, a gimme. It wasn't like, a, well, you know, he wasn't quite there, but we're going to give it to him out of respect. Terry Funk earned that title in that ring. Uh, and if you watch that match with Bret at his retirement match, uh really is astounding and, and, and pulls like you're, you guys are talking about the emotion that Terry was capable of bringing to a match, whether it was anger, whether it was, uh, you know, and I, I'm sure he pulled all of that into his acting career as well, his successful acting career as well. Uh, what, you know, that he could, he and Brett, both of them were so incredibly astute in the ring that they can tell that story uh, without having to sit and talk for six hours or even six minutes before the match, just go out and do it. And, you know, the afterbirth that you see with Terry's family at ringside, that n none of that is show. None of that is storyline. Um, you know, his daughters, uh, in fact, every time I would ever call uh, the Funk household, 
uh, it, it was rare that Terry would pick up, uh, but occasionally he did. Uh, most times Vicky would pick up, regardless of which one answered. Uh, before the conversation would go on, the conversation would start a, hey, how's Blue? How's the girls? How, you know, this, you know, and you went into this whole discussion about the family um, because, you know, God, I met his daughters. Jesus. Uh, you know, I was a baby. You know, I, I was a kid coming into the business the first time I met them. And, and you could see, obviously, the pride in their father. Um, uh, you know, the, and when you saw them in the room together with Vicky and with Terry, you could see that this was a strong family. You know, that this was not something that, you know, is put on for show or airs put on because you're in the dressing room trying to impress somebody. Uh, theirs was a genuine loving family from, from everything that I could ever see. You know, and Terry and I had had conversations about, you know, things that he had concerns for his daughters. Their marriages began to falter and things. And, uh, you know, you could, being a father now myself with much younger kids, uh, I, I can see where the things that he said to me, which I won't bring up here, but the things that he said to me were the things that you could tell were out of an undying love of a father for his children. And, you know, and it didn't sound offbeat in any way. You know, had I never met or worked with Terry Funk, the kid that used to watch Terry Funk and be amazed and mesmerized by him would have found that to be really odd. You know, like, I can't believe that. Uh, but once I met him and got to work with him and became friends with him over the years, uh, it completely fit the norm. I mean, that is Terry Funk. That was Vicky Funk. Uh, they were uh, just, I wish I could wave a magic wand and make the kind of love that they have for each other infectious to everybody that's in a marriage or thinking about getting married. Because like I said earlier, I just don't think it exists anymore. Uh, or I, should, I don't want to generalize, I should say it very very rare today and uh the world could use a little bit more than i believe shane you know chad mentioned we had funk on not that long ago and you know, we were talking about matches and feuds and stuff and he did and i think we might have mentioned this to you before but he he had glowing things to say about you and he mentioned you as one of his favorite feuds what do you think about that well that i'm humbled by it honestly uh i learned so much from terry um Terry had the ignominious role of being the first major angle I had after becoming a heel. And, you know, initially my first thought was being a heel is opposite of being a baby face, which is not accurate. Um, a baby face, uh, at least as in the business end follows, uh, baby face reacts, uh, a heel, uh, calls it, uh, a heel lays out the storyline and the angle and executes it in the ring. So you're really thinking for two people rather than just one. So whereas before you weren't even thinking as a baby face because you were, like, again, just reacting, playing Simon Says. Uh, as a heel now, suddenly you're, you're commissioned with coming up with the storyline, coming up with the angles and the spots, calling it in a, in a way that gets both talents over. So, you know, I, I, again, was in the ignominious rule of having to teach me that in front of the cameras, uh, live in front of audiences. And again, back then it wasn't like, Hey kid, let's go sit back in the dressing room here and talk. That generation taught you in the ring. And, uh, you know, so to hear Terry say that, you know, fills me with pride because again, this was somebody that long before I ever thought of getting into the business. I remember as a kid watching paradise alley and, you know, knowing that he was a wrestler, and I hadn't gotten to, at that point in my life, I hadn't seen him wrestle a lot because that was before cable television. And uh, I read about him every month in, in Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the other wrestling magazines, Ringside. Uh, but I had never seen him wrestle. But I knew he was a wrestler, and I knew the name Terry Funk, obviously. And watching him in that movie was just, you know, as big of a wrestling mark as I was. That's what lured me. It wasn't Sylvester Stallone. It was it was Terry Funk that lured me to watch the movie in the first place. Um, you know, so to hear somebody like that that long, you know, Stano's kid long before he ever got into the business was was uh, mesmerized by this wrestler, and to have gotten to learn from him, work with him, 
uh, create some pretty damn good matches and a pretty damn good angle out of it that uh, I, I will humbly say was uh, one of the building blocks of ECW. Uh, you know, the three-way dance with me and Sabu and Terry was, uh, you know, recognized. I, I don't agree that it was the first great match in ECW. It was the first recognized great match in ECW. Um, and, you know, Sabu and I just held on for dear life. That was all Terry Funk. You know, we, we were just sort of just hanging on and, and trying to throw our two cents worth in here and there. Uh, you know, for those of us who know our business and understand our business, uh, we're all in awe of Terry Funk because of uh, not just what we learned from him, but what he's accomplished. You know, the, the record that he's left, uh, I would say easily uh, on par as far as longevity with, with uh, Luthez. And like you said earlier, uh, uh, Chad, it, it becomes like sort of the running joke, right? Well, this is Terry's, what, 15th or this is a silver anniversary retirement, whatever. Um, he, he's not doing that, obviously, because he needs the money. He's doing it because he has an undying love for professional wrestling and for the professional wrestling fans. And so it gets back to what I said earlier about Vicky, uh, that she would never have stepped in and done anything to try to squelch that, undermine it, cut it off, because she knew that that was every much part of Terry Funk's life and his enjoyment of life as his next breath and as his love in her. And I'm not saying that he put wrestling on the same level as her, but she would think that uh, that his love of wrestling, if it were to be taken away, you know, would not be good on, on Terry Funk's emotional or physical health. Paradise Alley is a great damn movie and <laughs> deserves a lot more oh. credit. Do, why don't you go uh, do some, uh, what do you call it, some sightseeing of some of the uh, the, the places they filmed for uh, Paradise Alley while you're in New York. <laughs> hey, that's for that, I, although I'm sure that the New York that you see in that movie is <laughs> much different. Uh, yeah, no, not not at all, but great. I mean, it's just an absolutely amazing movie. That? Was that 76, 77? It's late 70s. It's seven, yeah, I think it's 76, 77, 78, around that uh, that time frame. But if you look at the cast, you well, look well, at... Hold on. What? Didn't, didn't it precede uh, Rocky? No, Rocky, Rocky was, was 76. It's definitely after Rocky. So it must be 77, well, 78. Been... Okay, because I thought when it, when it came out, like, like, I didn't think Stallone was that big of a star. When that came out, it's but I know it's right in that same relative time frame. It, if it was after, it was not long after. If it was before, it wasn't long before. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, you know, New York City of 1975, six, seven uh, doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I don't know. You make the wrong turn down one of those streets, start looking for those neon lights. You might, uh, you might find what you're looking <laughs> for, depending on uh, what time of the day it is. But Kind of a, a funny transition into what we wanted to talk about on the show. I mentioned it last week. We ran a poll. Uh, just kind of came out of a joke between John and myself just about the greatest ECW champion. And we threw a few names on there. So I'm going to hand it over to John. Uh, ties in well to Mr. Funk. But uh, I'm going to hand it over to John. We're going to kind of give you the results about this, uh, I think, very telling poll. Shane, the four champions that were in this poll were yourself. Terry Funk, Raven, and Taz. We did have some honorable mentions. We just said Mike Austin, Mikey Whipwreck, Tommy Dreamer, Bam Bam Bigelow. Obviously, it was just a couple that we mentioned. We didn't even mention right. Sabu or Sandman, who were also great champions. But we just thought you, Funk, Raven, and Taz were probably the four best or the four top guys you could pick. Would you kind of agree with us on that? Well, I see the championship in, like, stages. Uh, uh like, for instance, Sandman, the, the purest wrestler in me uh, at the time was not, I, I didn't see him as a champion, but it, that was Shane Douglas in 1993-4-5. Uh, Shane Douglas, now looking back, knows that Sandman was, and his title run, was never going to be, you know, put in the annals, of, you know, with comparing against the Funk Brothers or the Briscoe Brothers or, you know, the Ric Flairs or the Ricky Steamboats, but in ECW, in the confines of that company, ECW, it was as important a building block to the success of ECW as my title reign was, as, as Terry's title reign, as uh, Ravens, as Taz's. Uh, you know, so 
you know, I, I see it a bit, a bit differently, but I understand where you're saying, uh, you know, the longest serving reigning champions, uh, uh, I'm sure would probably end up being one and two, me and Raven. Uh, and again, I, I, something I have is written down or memorized or anything. I just know that I held the belts for the long, for most of the time that I was there. And I know Raven did so as well. So I would just take that stab in the dark. As far as the poll here, it was Shane Douglas winning it by a landslide, over 55% of the votes. and got a pretty hefty amount of votes there, too. So it was very good on that. So 9% Terry Funk, 11% Raven, 25% Taz, and 55% of the franchise Shane Douglas. While I am not surprised with that, I'm pretty happy with that. I got to think that Raven is not happy right now. (laughs) (laughs) There's the proof in the pudding, Raven, because everybody knows uh, Raven and I always joke each other about, you know, the the, the title championship, all tongue-in-cheek, of course. At least I think it is on his part. Uh, But (laughs) to me, you know, I I know this sounds sort of like uh, self-serving or or especially during this week, right? But I, I would see Terry as much higher. Uh, because, you know, when Terry got that belt, uh, remember now, he was the, the champion, uh, the heavyweight champion uh, that I that I beat for the heavyweight uh, ECW Eastern Championship title before that. You know, so Terry was like the foundation that we had to all build on. And that's a much, much more difficult thing to do than to take a title that's established and, and, you know, run with it, uh, you know, in the sense, and I, speak, I say that speaking from experience, when, you know, when we transitioned the Eastern Championship heavyweight title to the Eastern, to Extreme Championship world title, uh, it had a lot, same, walked into the building that night, one and walked out the other, and I can tell you the weight of carrying the other belt was much heavier, figuratively speaking. Uh, you know, because now you've got a dressing room of guys that are looking to you to be the draw, expecting you to be the draw, and hoping for you to be the draw so that their paychecks are better. Uh, the fans, the, the insane, rabid fans that ECW always have, are doing the same thing. You know, and so it was hard in the sense of trying to keep into that heel persona uh, because the fans wanted to respect you and they, they, they were rooting for you to succeed in that role because they knew that Paul wouldn't put me in that role if they didn't think I, that I should be in that role. Uh, you know, but as I'm saying, it's popped into my head. That may very well be one of the ingredients that drove those, uh, uh, those inflammatory, uh, uh, profane laden promos was that I was pushing so hard to to uh, to get heat with the audience. At the same time, they're you know they're, they're, they're rooting for you and cheering for you, you know, at least silently to, to get over because they want to see the company succeed. So, and by the way, here here's the background here. You can here now we are <laughs> genuinely not in the franchise uh, office at home. We are in the heart of downtown New York, and there's a probably shooting down the street. Or President Trump's back in town. You never know with uh, New York City, but Shane, I know that me, myself, I definitely put in a vote for the franchise, Shane Douglas, as I definitely feel like you were the best ECW and the longest reigning ECW champion of all time. Chad, on the other hand, did not pick Shane Douglas and went with Raven. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, that, that, see, that doesn't surprise me. It's, uh, no, look, it's uh, all kidding aside. Anytime we're talking about the I hate to to go too far down because you joke too much, it sounds like you're sort of taking shots, right? Uh, Raven had a, a very difficult position, right? Uh, you know, having uh, having had to, to pick the belt up after it had been established uh, with a character that had been pushed pretty hard in that company and did it and did it in a completely different way. You know, most people, how many times have you seen somebody become an announcer, right? A, co- a color commentator. And they suddenly start trying to tell jokes uh, and, you know, telling off the cuff uh, 
remarks that they'll chuckle at themselves. And the reason they're doing that is because uh, Jesse the Body Ventura did that, and then Bobby the Brain Heenan took it to a level of brilliance. Uh, both of them were, you know, just very quick-witted. Uh, both of them, Bobby could have been a stand-up comedian in a heartbeat and been probably more successful if boss if that possible that he wasn't wrestling. But you see every color commentator try to do that since because that's, in their mind, what a color commentator does. They follow the lead, in other words. Uh, getting back to Raven as a champion, Raven didn't follow the leads. He didn't follow Funk's lead. He didn't follow my lead. He created a character that was opposite and very different. Uh, to, to both mine and Terry's character and Sandman's character that held the belt for a while uh, prior. So kudos to Raven for having done it. But, but it, I, I can now take the shot after I put him over and say that we now have definitive scientific proof that Franchise was the greatest ECW champion, not Raven. <laughs> and, we can, and, and it doesn't matter at all that we conducted the poll. <laughs> I think that's the fans, Gil, not us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, fa- the fans. It's the fans' fault. Hey, uh, Chad did once in the 1997 era and time frame dress up as Raven for Halloween. So now, you know, 20 years later, is still saying Raven's the best. <laughs> you know that if he ever tells you that he thinks you are, you know, he's full of shit. Man, you know, you're. you're I've heard all these things about your parents. Your parents actually let you dress up as a drug rattled, uh, <laughs> drug riddled, uh, 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 family busting, uh, uh, gothic type character. Grunge uh, rocker. You yeah, you weren't an ugly baby, were you? I was going through a phase, uh, definitely, in the late <laughs> 90s. I think we all kind of went through. You know our uh, our loner phase. You know our uh, we're all looking for something, but uh, I don't think Raven, when he put that uh, that the look of that character and persona together, that he ever pictured uh, you know a, uh, a teenage kid with glasses and short hair donning the flannel and the cutoff jeans and the uh, you know the the cutoff shirt. Probably not what he had in mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he probably didn't. But you know, honestly, when I would sit and watch Scotty shooting his promos. Uh, I was listening intently because, you know, I had my own style. and we were, Our styles were very different, but it was new. It was different. Uh, there was something there that, that drew you in. The story would hook you and draw you in. And to me, the great heels are the ones that can explain to you why they raped the 90-year-old lady and make you believe that they're right. Uh, and Raven could go out there and tell you a story, whether it was stealing Sandman's kid, busting up his marriage, you know, caning Tommy, whatever it was that he did. He could look into that camera and tell you a story that took you on a ride that when you got done listening to it, you thought, hey, he's making some pretty damn good points. You know, he, he's got a valid point there. That's a great heel, a great heel, because uh, any heel that, you know, we can all go out and play the, the prototypical heel, right? Just no redeeming quality, just total scumbag. You know, everything he does is horrific. And let's face it, human beings aren't that way. You know, I, you know, we, we've demonized Hitler, but I'm sure, you know, that Hitler probably bought his mother flowers for Mother's Day. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you know, he wasn't complete. You know, he didn't do every snidely whiplash thing, you know, on every single breath of his life. Um, uh, and please don't anybody troll me and say I was putting Hitler over today. I was using that as an obvious example. But, you know, Raven did that in a way that was masterful. Uh, you know, mine was more the fiery oratory over the top. Um, Raven would do it. Like when, the first time I saw him shoot a promo, we were in the high school somewhere. And I, I forgot, it, it seemed to me that it was early in the evening, so it must have been before the show. And we were down in the classroom, uh, and, and Scotty was doing this promo, and he did the slide down the wall and sat there, and he was taking a long pregnant pause, and it was sort of uncomfortable to watch it at first. And I kept thinking, like, he's, oh, he's killing time. You know, like, this is both, he's 
going to film us up more. And I went back and I watched it post-produced. And it was incredible. It really was. And, and you know, there was a streak of, little, little streak of jealousy in me, you know, that, that, you know, Mick Foley, I think, does his in a similar fashion, but albeit a different vein. Um, but they can take you on this story and just sort of tell you, like, once upon a time and take you on this, this journey of a story. Um, I, mine had to be more spontaneous. Uh, to me, trying to remember a promo like that, it would be the same as trying to remember 50 moves in a row instead of going out there and just acting out the character and being the character. Uh, you're remembering spots and you're remembering moves. The same thing in a promo. Um, uh, I, I think the only thing this does prove is that I'm, I'm the far more witty, quick-witted, uh, more intelligent one because I could do a promo on the top of my head, not have to memorize it. But I'm, I'm joking, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly humbled by that. I don't know if I agree uh, with the numbers, but um, you know, the, I have great respect and admiration for all the guys on that list: Taz, Raven, uh, uh, Terry Funk, as I do for all the ECW champions. Um, you know, what we did there was something, you know, we, we beat this dead horse to death, right? But what we did in ECW will, I think, be spoken about for a long, long time because it was so different. Uh, it was done without the, the luxury of a billion-dollar corporation behind us. Um, we did it with talent. And I, I know some people out there probably saying, of all the dressing rooms you've been involved in, he, I publicly made the statement multiple times on this show and elsewhere that if I could pick one dressing room uh, that I'd want to march into a promotional battle with, it would be that dressing room. Um, that's I'm not taking a shot at any of the, the UWF dressing room, the Continental dressing room, the NWA dressing room, the WWF dressing room. I'm merely stating that of all the dressings that I work with, uh, as great as all those other ones were, there was some kind of magic in, in the chemistry that was ECW. And I don't give it all the credit to the talent. Uh, you know, Paul had a big part in that. The fans had a big part in it. But when you put all those ingredients into that big pot called ECW Arena, magic ensued. Uh, and I don't say that to be like self-aggrandizing to, to myself or the company. Uh, the, the video speaks for itself. Uh, I recently was at somebody at a friend's house and he popped an old ECW uh, uh, tape in and I was watching it and I thought to myself, this could come out today and draw an audience. Uh, it has certainly held up the test of time and you know, anything that withstands the test of time to me evokes greatness. Uh, there was something magical about all those ingredients being placed together Uh Funk was a huge part of it. Raven was a big part of it. Taz was obviously a big part of it, as was Tommy Dreamer, as was Mikey Whipwreck, Sandman, and everybody else in that dressing room. Um, and, and who's to say? You, know, you take any one of those ingredients out, it might have vastly changed the, the end result. You know, and, and it may not have captured uh, the audience. Cause the, all, you know, all those pieces were interacting and bouncing off each other even if they weren't working together. You know, if my match came after a Sandman match, uh, the fans were watching that through the lens uh, of having just watched Sandman do his entrance and his match, and in the back of their mind, they're bouncing my performance off of what they saw with him, and, and the person that followed me, the same thing. So, you know, all of that, you know, it's... If you, no, without boring anybody, you go back to organic chemistry, right? Oof, what a horrible class. But you take one chemical bond out. You take one carbon uh, uh, molecule out of that chain. And you don't just change a little bit the end product. You greatly, vastly change the end product. And I think that was ECW. Take any one of those ingredients out, and you might have vastly changed the outcome of what ECW ultimately became. 
Well, Shane, obviously, you know, and kind of going away, you do you're the greatest ECW champion of all time. It's basically it's official. No one can take it away from you. There it is, you're the greatest <laughs> champion. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're gonna we're gonna say official and scientific. Yes, official and scientifically proven to be the greatest ECW yes. champion of all time. Now, uh, we're going to go back to a little bit of an AFA here, Ask Franchise Anything, just to get this in quickly for the week, because this was sent in by William Kitchen at Kill Witchin on Twitter. He said, Franchise SD John Oliver just did a segment that sounded like your take mm. about independent contractors, and obviously he's talking about John Oliver from H." last week tonight and his little expose on the WB. Did you happen to catch that? What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I didn't see it live. Uh, I've certainly heard about it. Uh, I watched it back uh, two days ago. Monday I heard about it uh, and, and pulled it up and watched it. Uh, first of all, great question for William Kitchen. Uh, you know, I, to be honest, I am shocked that it's taken this long. But you know, especially in this politically correct world we live in, right? Uh, you can't say this, you can't do that anymore. And, and certainly uh, we've seen corporations coming under fire for what are seen as underhanded tactics being, you know, you know Walmart had to raise their minimum wage because, you know, the, the collective uh, body of politics said that it was too low. Uh, and they were basically shamed into increasing it so they didn't get a black eye. Uh, figuratively speaking, over, you know, all this money they're making as a corporation and still paying people seven seventy five an hour, they had almost double it to fifteen uh per hour. They didn't do that out of the goodness of their hearts. They didn't do it because they're just greater human beings than everybody else. They did it because they had to. As a publicly traded company, they could not afford to take that black eye because that could have an impact on the stock. And you have an impact on the stock. You know, we saw the Great Depression and how many times in recession since. You know, one negative move can send a stock tumbling from what it never recovers. Um, look at Sears. Um, you know, so I've always thought that the way to go about this was not to battle Vince out in the courts, which you're going to have to ultimately do at some point. Uh, but you've got to win the battle of public opinion first. I've never spoken to a fan anywhere where the fan said, hey, I go there because I, I, I think my job as a fan is to make Vince McMahon richer. Every fan I've ever spoken to has said, uh, first of all, they're shocked that we're getting such a disproportionately small amount of the money that they spend on T-shirts and DVDs and the rest of it. Uh, and when they're, they're shocked by that because they think when they go to buy a Shane Douglas t-shirt, a Shane Douglas DVD, that they're in some way helping Shane Douglas in some small way, uh, you know, showing their support. And when they find out that it is such an infinitesimally small percentage, almost barely perceptible, it's so small. And they find out that the vast majority of that money is going into the billionaire's pocket. Uh, I beckon back to my uh, example of Walmart. Uh so when I heard this comment from John Oliver uh, and seen, you know, this is sort of taken on life its own, I, I guess you'd say it's gone viral, right? You know, people talking about this. Uh, a, it's WrestleMania week, uh, the biggest week of the year. Um, this is exactly the time, you know, that this should be thought out. We need to, everybody, every wrestling fan needs to do the same thing, not to hurt things. Uh, that you know that's that does no any none of us any good. You know if the company takes a big hit, the stock nosedives. Uh, pretty unlikely that anything's going to get settled after that point. Uh, but to get Vince, because here's the thing, and, and I don't mean this in a condescending comment. Uh, it's just a statement of fact. If God Himself came down and told Vince McMahon that He thinks it would be in His best interest to, to settle that contract. Vince McMahon would tell God to go fuck himself. Um, that's Vince. That's part of, a huge part of what made Vince McMahon so successful in the first place. He won't quit. He won't give up. Uh, but in this one case, from the stories that I'm hearing from, his, from my inside moles, is that Stephanie and Hunter both want to settle the case because I think they see the long-term damage this can do now that it's leaked out. Uh, Vince is still holding fast to refusing 
to settle. So ultimately, the, the public will decide this for Vince. Either they, the, the wrestling fans that are listening to this and the wrestling fans that are buying WrestleMania or WrestleMania-related products or going to the show, uh, if they think that all of that money should make Vince McMahon even richer, uh, even to the detriment of the wrestlers that are out there half-killing themselves to produce that show, that if they think that's right, then they're doing the right thing. Keep going there and keep spending your money and keep dumping it in Vince's pocket. I'm sure I'll be more than happy to take it. But if you think that it's wrong, that people like Ivan Koloff were, you know, were told very condescending comments when asked to be considered for a legends contract, of all things. Uh, when you hear these stories... And, you know, you go back and you watch John Oliver's comments, which were spot on, hammer on the nail head. Um, you, as the consumer, have to decide, do you feel that it's your job and duty to make Vince McMahon or the McMahon family even wealthier to the detriment of the wrestlers making that product? Or should there be some more equitability in taking care of the wrestlers long term? but also paying the wrestlers uh, and treating the wrestlers as employees. Clearly, you're employees. Uh, and, and without boring the audience, in Pennsylvania, there's, I think there's 21 criteria. Let's say JP wants to start filing his Pennsylvania state taxes, if you lived in Pennsylvania, as an independent contractor. There's 21 criteria that you must meet in order to be able to do that. And if you meet 20 out of 21, that's not close enough. You have to have all 21. And there's a bunch of things that are, you know, legalese and boring, but in a nutshell, the ones that really stand out are in control of one schedule, uh, that you provide your own, or you set up your own work and provide your own workspace. Uh, you can decline any dates you want to take others you want. And so the, the, the example, every time I read those 21 criteria, the, the job, the profession that always pops into my head would be like a house painter. So Shane Douglas can uh, subcontract or contract to paint JP's house tonight and can come to do it. Uh, and maybe my son has a graduation tomorrow. And so I come today and I paint for a while today and I leave and say, I won't be back tomorrow, JP, because my son is graduating, but I'll be back the day after. You can't tell me, hey, screw you. I, you know, it's, I'm in control of that schedule. Uh, you also can't tell me if Chad wants me to paint his house. You can't say, oh, oh, oh stop, stop. There's a, there's a, there's a, you know, there's heat between JP, uh, between JP and Chad. So I, JP, you can't tell me I can't go paint Chad's house. I'm in control of that, 100%. Now I can tell you anytime I was in, not just the WWE, with any wrestling promotion I ever worked for, I was never in control of my schedule. If I received a booking sheet that said I was working 30 days this month. I couldn't say, oh, hold on a second. My son's graduating from high school tomorrow, so I'm going to take that day off. And my other son has a hockey tournament the third Sunday of this month. I'm going to take that day off. And my mother's birthday is the last day of the month. I'm going to take that day off. Uh, when I was given a booking sheet, it was an all-or-nothing proposition. You either take them all, or you take none of them, and we'll find somebody that will take them all. My contract with the WWE was worded in such a way that I it would never pass muster in a court of law, but it said that I could work for any other entity on the planet that I wanted except WCW, ECW, New Japan, All Japan, and like a handful, there were like seven or eight or nine entities listed. In other words, they were the other entities where you could make a, a living. Uh, sure, I could come work for XYZ promotion, independent promotion, and Timbuktu tonight if I wanted to and make, you know, the, the, the speck of the money that I would make working for a larger promotion. Uh, but as soon as you tell me I can't work for this one or that one, by the definitions used in Pennsylvania uh, tax law, I'm not an independent contractor. Um, you know, as an independent contractor, that, that also means that if you get injured in Vincent Man, the multi-billionaire's multi-billion dollar company, if you get injured working on a show, you're on your own. Sorry for your bad luck. Now, again, 
for the fans that think if the fans think that's proper uh, and above board, that all of those things are skewed against the rest of them. Now, you know, the, the, the troll could come back and say, well, nobody put a gun to your head and made you sign that contract. I would contend to you tonight that every human being, male, female, uh, black, white, uh, Latino, uh, uh, Far Easterner, uh, uh, Middle Easterner, European, every human being that's ever broken into the wrestling business hopes to one day ascend to the major league. Nobody ever gets into wrestling saying, I hope I get to be the, the guy that gets beat up all the time. Everybody hopes to be the next Hulk Hogan, the next Bruno San Martino, the next Ric Flair, the next franchise. Um, nobody gets into it saying they just want to be the guy that gets beat up. Uh, well, if you take a kid whose life dream is to be in that industry and you say to them, well, these are the rules that you play by or you don't have to come. Some kid that wants to be in the NFL isn't going to get there and say, well, whoa, whoa, wait a second, this one clause in this contract, this sounds a little bit sketchy. They're not going to change that contract for you. They're going to tell you either you live with it or don't play in the NFL. Now, anybody that knows that it's ever gone to the NFL or tried to get to the NFL, uh, the, the same thing, that love and that drive is the same thing that's, that's in every professional wrestler hoping to ascend to the major league of our industry. And so, you, you know, and you have an unlimited supply. So, if, JP, if you don't want to come and play by these rules, okay, nice knowing you. I'll get Chad to come. And if Chad doesn't want to, there's a long line of kids behind him that will. Um, so, again, this is going to ultimately come down to a public decision. Does the public consumer think that their job is to make Vince McMahon even wealthier to the detriment of the wrestlers working for him? If a wrestler working for him uh, sustains an injury that, like, you know, uh, the post-concussion syndrome, for instance, that could take years sometimes to show signs of. If I get injured working for Walmart today, a uh, crane drops a crate on top of my head and causes me to, have to, to get a concussion, and 20 years from now I have problems with that and it's been documented, my guess is Walmart will be legally liable for that. Um, the same as... It should be in, in the WWE, except the way the contracts are worded. So, again, does the fan, the consumer, ultimately think that their job and their desire is to make Vince McMahon wealthier to the detriment of the wrestlers, or do they think that it should be more equitable to take care of the wrestlers as well as the business, and ergo Vince McMahon, uh, and, and do it that way? Uh, again, the fans will decide this. If the fans and the investors think that it's better to make Vince a man richer to the detriment of the wrestlers and keep your money invested in WWE, I'm talking out of the Merrill Lynch's and the Charles Schwab's and the institutional investors uh, and the individual investor as well, uh, but most specifically to the institutional investors. If you think that is wrong, if you really stand on the side of this political correctness that we see raising its head in almost every other aspect of our society, then you've got to take a close look at this and have a real discussion with yourself. And if you do not think that's fair, and that is not your intention, then yank your money. Or better yet, just threaten to yank your money. That'll get his attention just as well. Uh, but this is not going to change. Vince McMahon will never voluntarily say, you know what? I'm rich enough. I'm going to start taking care of my wrestlers uh, and treat them as professionals. Get treated in the NFL, Major League Baseball, uh, Major League Hockey, uh, you know, the NHL, uh, every other major sports entity out there. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, my agent tonight told me that the UFC is now flirting with treating their uh, their athletes much more on par with the bigger. Uh, sports entities like the mentioned the NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, NFL, etc. So this is going to be something that's going to be fought out. Uh, if Don Oliver's listening out there, 
thank you. Kudos for doing this and getting the ball rolling. But now it's up to all of us, those of us that are marked in the business and those of us that are in the business, it's up to us to pick the mantle up and continue pushing this narrative uh, to let this ultimately be decided by the marketplace. Because I don't believe that there's many institutional investors, individual investors, or fans that desire to make Vince Man only wealthier, even to the detriment of the wrestlers. Well said. There's nothing else to say following that up. Well put, and uh, obviously a very passionate topic for uh, all encompassed in the wrestling business. So Shane, there's there's a little bit of time left that we have here. Hopefully we haven't lost you yet. I know you're running low on battery on location there in New York, yes. but, but we got to talk about it quick before we wrap up. It's WrestleCon weekend. It's Mark Out at the Meadowlands weekend. Our big show is Sunday. You're going to be at WrestleCon with an amazing photo opportunity featuring ECW legends, uh, Mikey Whipwreck, the Sandman, Jerry Lynn, and yourself, four ECW champions, all under the same banner, literally, all under the same banner. Yes. <laughs> and then you'll be with us on Sunday. But first, let's take it the first step. Let's talk about WrestleCon coming this weekend. You're going to be there a couple days. Give the fans the details on uh, WrestleCon. Yeah, well, and, and you missed one, one thing. There's going to be a photo op. Uh, I'm not sure the exact time. Uh, I'll tweet it out tomorrow um, that uh, Francine and I will be doing photo ops together. Uh, we're sitting, I believe, right next to each other. Our booths are right next to each other. Uh, so uh, I'm sure, you know, if, if, it's, if you miss that time frame, you can probably get it after that. But I know that that's going to be uh, another big thing we're doing. And we've also, for the first time this year, as I tweeted out last week a couple times, and we'll so again tomorrow, been doing pre-sales. So as you guys know, there's a lot of times you get there, there's a lot of people there, and you got to stand in line for 15, 20, 30 minutes, hour, two hours even sometimes. Uh, by doing the pre-sale, you're saving a considerable amount of money per item, and you don't have to wait in line. We're going to have somebody dedicated to set up, bring your uh, paperwork up, uh, give your paperwork, get your merchandise, and leave and go stand in somebody else's line if you want to. Um, but I will uh, tweet that information out again. I've, I've already tweeted it out last week uh, several times. I will tweet it out again tomorrow. There still is time. I believe we will be taking pre-sale orders up until Friday midnight, I believe is what I was told. Uh, so if you want to save some money and save some time, uh, this is a great opportunity for WrestleCon. It's been quite a while since I've been in New York City. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 you know, I know a lot of fans – I've uh, been hitting me up on messages on, on Twitter and uh, even a couple texts uh, some people had sent to me. So uh, that would be the best way to jump into it. The, the photo ops uh, with all the ECW champs that will be to the photo op with Francine and I, uh, the pre-sale and the other items that we have, including <coughs> some original print ECW posters. Um, those will only be sold on pre-sale, by the way. Uh, so, uh, and a substantial savings. So, uh, look for my Twitter tomorrow uh, uh, and uh, my tweets tomorrow, and you'll see the information about how to access that and do your pre-orders and save some money. Um, but then, uh, you know, we'll be there all day on Saturday and looking forward to meeting everybody. As you know, WrestleCon always does an incredible amount of business. And the fact that this will be the first one I've done in New York, I'm not sure if it's the first that they've ever done in New York City. It may be. But this is the first time I've ever been at WrestleCon in New York. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't think I've done a convention in New York City proper uh, since 2007 or 8, I believe. It's been some, some, some time. So looking forward to it this weekend. And uh, we're all looking for a huge turnout here. And uh, looking forward to seeing everybody here, uh, not just the wrestlers that we don't get a chance to see that often, but all the fans up here as well. As, as I, I damn well remember from the uh, Madhouse of Extreme at the, uh, originally the Lost Italian Hall in the Elks Lodge in Queens, New York. New York fans are some of the most insane on the planet. So I, I look forward to seeing a lot of that energy on Saturday. And then right across the river, not too far from New York City, Secaucus, to be exact, on Sunday. You and Jerry Lynn will be coming over to our show which is Mark Out at the yeah. Meadowlands. It's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Meadowlands Plaza Hotel. So if you have tickets to WrestleMania, you still have time to come by uh, the Meadowlands Hotel and see over 30, almost 40, 
superstars that we'll have at our show, Mark Out at the Meadowlands. It's a co-production between the two-man power trip and uh, just an, an awesome guy out of Connecticut named Nick who runs the Captain's Corner. Uh, it's a co-production between uh, both of our entities, and we're uh, bringing this show to you. It's absolutely stacked to the gills. Uh, we just added Road Warrior Animal will be there. Uh, Tessa Blanchard from Impact Wrestling, obviously the daughter of Tully, who oh, Tully will yeah. also be in attendance that day. I mean, there's so much to talk about with Mark out at the Meadowlands, but the best thing you can do if you're going to be in the tri-state area is go to the website, which is matmcon.com. Again, matmcon.com. Uh, we can't wait to see everybody. Shane, we can't wait to see you Sunday. We haven't seen you in a, in a couple months. So uh, looking forward to it. Uh, best of luck to everybody who's traveling in. Safe travels. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, tag tag any pictures of Shane you take over the weekend. Tag him on Twitter. Hit us up at Two Man Power Trip, at the Franchise SD, at Wrestling Pal, and at the Three Threat Pod. Let's blast the shit out of WrestleCon and mark out at the Meadowlands and really make this a weekend to remember. And then we'll reconvene and we will uh, chat about this uh, next week. So Shane, best of luck there in the city. We will see you Sunday and take us out in only the way the franchise can. Hey, looking forward to it. WrestleMania weekend, WrestleCon weekend. Time to say your prayers. Take your... No, 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 no. It's time to maybe climb on Space Mountain. No, 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 no. It's time to get your ass to WrestleCon because if you're not there... You'll get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.